we don't we normally don't have an outline on this thing peter we're uh we we're call really it we call it wing it for for yeah. a reason yeah. <laughs> i mean we're not to, we're not like totally irresponsible but yeah. close yeah close <laughs> Winged Podcast, GooseDigital.com, episode 47. Who do we have? Robin Kroll. Jen Pugsley. Pete Tessier. And Michael Turksani. Pete, nice to, nice to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's always nice to be on someone else's podcast, and I get to listen and learn as opposed to uh, trying to structure things. You guys have to listen to me, and that could be a scary, uh, scary proposition. I know it's always great. I think it, it, the the guest situation for us has been um, we've we've often had people at the podcast room, which is where Robin is right now. Yours has been much more virtual, and we're trying to get into that mode now, or sort of forced into that mode. So this has been awesome, and, and it's great to see you face to face as well on video. Um, yeah, why don't we just uh, kick this off? We're going to be talking about the fun and, and exciting world of insurance and, and marketing and, and sales within it. Um, so why don't you give us a little, a little intro from yourself and then we'll, we'll get into it. So for those who don't know me, I actually also have a podcast and I, uh, my name is Pete Tessie and I host the founder, host and producer and founder of the insurance podcast, which is, I like to think Canada's leading podcast about the insurance industry. And it might be Canada's only podcast specifically devoted to the insurance be, yeah. industry. So it's not hard to be a leader. I'm, I, I've been in the insurance industry for about 20 years now. I'm a former brokerage owner. Um, I've done consulting work. I've worked with uh, various tech vendors in the insurance industry. I do some content creation and I have a podcast. And I'm also the vice president of sales and marketing for BSI Insurance here in uh, Manitoba, which is a large broker that is... Um, primarily focused in Winnipeg and then South Central, Southeastern Manitoba with 16 different retail locations. But we write business across the prairies all the way to the BC border. Um, we're specialists in agribusiness and uh, we like to think we have a large footprint and great expertise uh, in, in serving these regions and we have a lot of fun doing it. Awesome. Well, I know that um, we've got a couple of points that we're going to we're going to explore today specifically around, you know, marketing in this environment. And, and maybe before we get into that, we'll just let everyone know kind of for context, if, if they pick this up in, in six months from now and listen to it, we're about what six, I would say a solid six months into the into the COVID-19 scenario. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's been an adjustment. I feel like people are starting to work their way into a workflow of, of, uh, of new normal, if you want to call it that. But why don't we just start with what has this been like for you guys, Pete? And, um, you know, whether that's regional or national, because you guys, you know, you, you've got a, a fairly wide uh, field of view there. But, um, you know, we started off before this talk, talking a little bit, you know, the hard market was already hard enough and why don't you just give us some context from your side on on what this has been like you know COVID's been kind of funny um one of the things I think when we think about it on a national level is Canada is so wide and vast and our and, and insurance is delivered 
not in a uniform way across the country. And the big driver of insurance transactions has always been auto insurance. Well, where I am, which is Manitoba, we have a public auto insurer. You only insure with one person. Saskatchewan's the same, British Columbia is the same. And yes, there's different variables on extension auto insurance that can be delivered privately. To get your car on the road and registered, you go through a public auto insurer. So the retail presence of an insurance brokerage is very important. And then having to use a one system for that insurer to do everything, and it's based on an in-person transaction. COVID has had a dramatic effect on how we look at insurance interactions with people because we're so driven that way because of the systems we use. Whereas you go to private auto provinces, there's a whole different world of interactions and technology and approaches to gathering customers. Because when you think about COVID, if everything's shut down, people still need to conduct their business. Insurance isn't a luxury item. It isn't a nice to do thing like getting out and um, going for dinner. It's, it's, it's the grease that moves the economy. So you need your car insured. Well, when COVID hit, we were at the uh, uh, we were beholden to how the public auto insurer wanted to operate. We couldn't go and say, "Well, we'll flip it online. We'll we'll flip this technology over, run an API, do our own solution on the back end, and flip the policy back out to the customer." That didn't exist. We couldn't buy technology. We couldn't partner with anyone to do it. We were completely and totally um, beholden to the to MPI just like people in BC were to ICBC and to auto fund in Saskatchewan. So that was the biggest driver for problems with COVID is you still had to have a traditional physical presence with your customers to conduct business. You couldn't do anything different. And now the irony being is Manitoba had a very successful early um, run with COVID now it's worse than it ever was at the height of it back in April. Like the second wave of Manitoba yeah. is way worse than it was the first wave. Yet here we are being told we have to be open. So now we think more about safety than we do anything else. And before we were thinking about how do we pivot and adjust to a new reality? Well, they're not going to let us adjust. And now right. we think about safety. It's, it's, it's been really backwards in terms of how mm -hmm. other areas in the province have experienced, or other areas in the country have experienced it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes me, you know, a couple things come to mind on that, which is, you know, how, how do you deal, I guess, as maybe if we take this maybe from a broker, broker perspective, you know, what are the types of things that you think about from a, just a straight communication perspective, dealing with like a one-on-one -on -one interaction in that type of an environment and you know some things that could be done maybe a little bit differently going forward well the one-on-one -on -one interactions are now based around efficiency they're based around the convenience to the customer because we don't know how their life has been upended we don't know what our customers and they're all different are they in the office are they out of the office are their right. office hours shifted when do we need to be open when do, when do we need to have access points and what ways can we give them access points to do the services they want? Um, you know, auto is the big touch point in terms of your insurance customer. You touch more customers <clears throat> via auto insurance than any other kind of policy. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're hamstrung by that, but 
when it comes to customers, we're sitting here going, we've got to learn something from this experience. And what we really want to try and do now is engage our best customers and try to find out what do you need to make mm -hmm. life better for you when it comes to your insurance experience. I think all brokers should be looking at their customers, the best ones, maybe not the best ones, and try and do engagement surveys with them. Mm -hmm. What have they experienced? And what can you learn from that? Um, you know, adopting technology, making changes is kind of futile if they're not the ones your customers want. And COVID has given a really good opportunity for everyone to look at their um, customer base and say, what do they want from us now? And what might that look like in the future? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Well, that's, uh, I think we can build on that actually and maybe go, Robin, if you want to introduce that kind of that first area around or, or, or um, at the top of the funnel, pardon me, that, that we were referring to earlier. I mean, now, you know, we've, we all know we, we need to, start to move the needle forward again. And uh, we're gonna be in this, in this sort of uh, hybrid work life environment where you're at home. And like you said, Peter, you, know, you don't really always know where your customer is or how to reach them. So let's just talk about you know, filling the front end of the funnel. And I'd like you to touch on um, the hard market as well. So Robin, I don't know if we missed anything in there. No, I think that, you know, that's it's a good part to start. And, and you know, I, I, I like the way that you teed that up, Pete, because it's like everything's kind of shifted. So as we're talking about going back to this new normal, but we can't really go back. We have to look at this completely different. Um, the customer is front and center um, because it's about their needs. And if you're talking about the top of the funnel, which are your leads and your prospects, well, you don't even know who they are at this point, right? So how is it that you engage with this unknown audience um, in a way that's gonna connect with them um, and be able to you know, communicate a, a value, the value that the broker can bring, uh, engage them in a conversation and be able to deliver that value? Yeah, I mean, the broker value proposition is one that we talk about in so many different ways. And how do you maintain it? The traditional one is one-on-one -on -one advice and guidance, right? I, one of the big beliefs in the insurance industry for years, and it goes from coast to coast, is that insurance brokers have wanted to make themselves indispensable to their clients, right? We want to be treated as a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, a, a true professional that gives you guidance that you call and you trust and you believe. And I take that one step further. And I and, and interesting enough that you bring this up, Robin, because I was in a, in a strategy session this morning with our sales team and I said, you know, COVID and this is disruption that's happened with the hard market has made the broker value proposition even more important, but you've got to find, now we're challenged in a physical sense to have those touch points. Mm -hmm. And I said, you shouldn't, as I said to our team, I said, we shouldn't just think of ourselves as those professionals. We need to be the, the person who is the hardest, hardest entity to leave behind because you have had such meaningful interactions with them. And I asked this to my team, I said, who is the hardest person in your world that you have a professional relationship with as a person to leave? And this is, this is something I don't think many people think about. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to be sexist here right now, but I think women should pick up on this sooner than men. And that person is your hairstylist. Yeah. When you're getting your hair done, 
you they know everything about you you're talking about kids family vacations adventures upside I can't leave my hairstylist right now. I'd feel embarrassed to leave her and not see her. And when you do leave them, you literally run for the hills, right? You don't call and say, sorry, I'm going to a new person. It's like you, it, you ghost them. And that's how hard it should be for P customers right now yeah. to leave their insurance broker. That, I think, is the, the gold test, is if you can hit that level of interaction and intimacy, you've achieved it. And how do you do that with COVID? And, and it's really hard. And the, the point that I think COVID has done is it's illuminated the fact that brokers have not made touch points with their clients in the ways they think they have. Right. And yep. you, everyone of us should be thinking, what are we doing to make sure our client remembers us? Because we can't go visit them right now. We can't necessarily be in the same room for an hour, depending on whether it's a personalized client, a commercial risk, pick your, pick your risk category, pick your, your, your insurance category. You can't do it anymore. And there might be like temporary um, laws in place to prevent that from happening. So if you haven't done your legwork in the past, this is the opportunity for someone who is smarter and more clever to come through and take your client out because they figured out a way of using this disruption to their advantage. And one of the things that people in the insurance industry have always said, and if, you, if I could draw a graph with my hands and make a look, it, it, it'd look like this, is this is, this is rates and this is opportunity. And when rates go up, the opportunity for broker, other brokers go like this to take your business. Right. Well, let's take the rate out and say disruption. COVID's disruption to a regular channel of business. And when that goes up, there's an opportunity for someone else to come in and take your business. And you've got to find a way to drop that opportunity um, rate down. The disruption's there. COVID turned us on our upside down. Now, what are you doing to be smarter and give your customers value so that they won't divorce you and leave you when someone else comes around? Yeah. And I, and I love like the whole, you know, the whole divorcing or the whole hairstylist uh, analogy because it always is like this, this backdoor uh, thing that happens. You, like, you're never going to go up to your hairstylist and say, sorry, I'm moving on because of X, Y, Z, or found somebody on Instagram that did really nice hair. You're never going to say that. It's going to be excuse right. after excuse, and you're never even really going to tell her until it's like too late and the relationship's tarnished, right? So, and then I, and I, and I, I always hear like, well, we're afraid to approach a digital way of communication uh, because of that relationship is, is apparently so strong, yet those touch points are still so few and far between. So it's like, when was the last time you really did call 50 of your customers, you know, well before renewal or went over and above on a proactive whatever, right? So it, it's, there's, you know, I think there's this fear and I, I don't know how much we want to break into that because I think it is actually a sore subject. Uh, but there's this kind of like false sense of relationship, I think, if we're all being honest, um, that yes, kind of worried about breaking with digital, but you didn't really have it in the first place. So with all of them. <laughs> it, it, but this is the opportunity to jump on something with digital and say, I've got to replace my old way of business because it's no longer viable for all, whatever reason. It's not there anymore. 
So what are you doing with the digital interaction with your customers? And how do you dip your toes into that world? Do you have an email list? Start there, see what you get back. Maybe you'll get some emails back saying, why are you emailing? Take them off the list. If no one said no to you, then keep going and expand your email. Every one of us is receiving bulk email messages sometimes multiple times a day from the same company or organization. You know, we, there's so many of them doing it. One of the interesting things is they've actually made it incredibly hard to unsubscribe from it. So, <laughs> you know, you can't, you know, the email address will say, I'll pick on the one I get a lot of, Banana Republic. It'll say no reply at. But to unsubscribe, you've got to go down, click a link, go through, enter your email address again, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> That's a friction point. But it's one that people just avoid because, oh, whatever, I can just delete the email. But <clears throat> eventually, you're going to see it. And what, did, what, and what did I say to myself when I realized, oh, falls here, I haven't been in a store in six months. I better go to Banana Republic. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Top of mind. <laughs> top of mind. So how are you going to be top of mind? Yeah. And yeah. I think uh, insurance brokers have always had a challenge doing that because they're loath to be like other industries. They've always thought of themselves as different. And we are different, but we have to behave in the ways that consumers are now accustomed to being, to experiencing from other industries. We've lagged behind, but the consumer has moved ahead. So we're playing catch up. Yeah, and you know, being able to um, get an email, even if it's a very basic email uh, that says, Hey, you know, is there anything you need, Pete, from an insurance perspective? It's you know, it's been it's been a quarter since since or it's been it's been so many months, and you know, I just wanted to check in. You know, I know that brokers will do that type of work. You know, they will go through kind of the manual work effort. But what we're seeing is that it's not always consistent, right? You'll go yep. through ebbs and flows, and somebody will get really busy, or there'll be there'll be more sales on the table for on a certain area, and you'll 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 lag behind some of those other touch points. But that goes a real long way, like getting an email like that. I actually don't have any needs, but now thank you for following, just asking me. Yeah. And you didn't have to call me and get me on, a, on my phone, which can be hard too, because we're all you know, busy and all this kind of stuff. But a nice email or text message can really go a long way to be like, well, that's great. Like they're checking in on me and it was automated. You know, Yeah, fine. It was an automated email, but it went a long way to just keep, keep top of mind. So I think that's a great point. Well, what if you do a manual email and maybe your your email the manual email is there but it's automated in its frequency the content might be a manual yeah but the actions that you require of the customer are automated for them so it's not like give me a call and discuss no click this web link fill out these things if you need to and you do it on your time you're not structuring someone to do it like it's for their time and you're not having them come around and call me at this time because I'll be around to talk to you. It's no, you can put this through a web link and, and it's on their time and on their conditions and you may not get anything, but if they do, you've still got something and they've seen that they have the option and it's their decision. And I think what we know from the bleeding edge industries is that consumer empowerment doesn't mean they're going to use the automation and the, and the stuff, but they've been given the choice to not use it. And that's just as interesting as knowing if they are using it. Yeah. 
I'm kind of going back to, uh, it's kind of like customer loyalty 101, right? It's, it's basic communication um, that acknowledges the relationship. So you're using, you know, some personalization saying, you know, we have a relationship. So, you know, I'm using your name. I'm going to use some information that I know about you. So it's not this kind of, you know, blast email, but I'm now you know, looking at ways to make that communication more efficient. So getting back to me, uh, feedback, anything that I'm asking that you might want to do a request, making it easier. So, you know, really focusing on the needs of the customer, which is how, you know, how the discussion started, that it really is about finding new ways to meet those needs. And those needs are going to continue to, to, to grow because they're based on what, how customers are engaging with, with other industries. I think, I think too, there's a huge opportunity, opportunity with um, the right types of technology that the producers or, or, you know, when they can actually see the power that these systems can do, you actually get a whole other level of insight to how your how your your customers interacting with your brand online whether it's an email or you know your website activity or landing page filling out forms so you can there's a different type of engagement versus saying well yeah let's meet for golf on on tuesday and you think that that's the the big the big thing that solidifies the relationship right so there's there's so much i think you know that that there that that is just not transparent or or it's just sort of seen as i don't know why there's this 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 great fear i don't know if it's because they think they don't see any insight into it and therefore they don't want to try those things because they think it's well if i if i can't see you physically what's happening then i'm i'm worried my relationship isn't isn't or i'm worried somebody else is going to swoop in there so i don't know there's there's that as well yeah. The, the traditional producer has to quantify their understanding of their customer with a long form experience, right? That's what they know. But Jen, when you were on my podcast, I remember asking you something out of the blue because we were talking about all these cool things that you just brought up. And it was, we did a wired and a tired thing. Like what's like, you know how wired magazine does it with, they have wired the cool new way of doing things tired the old way. Well, yeah. Tired is going out for golf for five hours. It might be fun, but if you had to do that three times a week for every client, right? How ineffective use of time is that? Yeah. Well, and one of my brokers said the other day, they said um, one of the brokers that were running digital communications for that, that are highly personalized um, said to me, he's like, honestly, like this has almost been a breath of fresh air. He's like, I don't, I don't want to be, and not taking anything away from the customer. He's like, but that takes a lot of effort. Yeah. And I don't want to be, you know, coming here and going there and randomly interrupted in the middle of the day. And, you know, let's go for a napkin lunch and, or write this, <laughs> bound this policy on a napkin. Like it, it's, it's when you take it away, it's, I think that there's, there's definitely positives that we're seeing too. Yeah, it, it's, it's huge. And, and, you know, you go back to, I love that you brought up golf because it's something that I love golfing. I, I think it's great, but let's extrapolate golf a little bit. Take a look at the, if anyone knows, if you've ever done insurance for a golf course, you're going to know that they have a pressure point and their pressure point is 
they don't have a growing membership in a certain age demographic. Mm -hmm. And that's 18 to 35 year olds. It drops right off. But if you're going and working with people in the insurance industry and you've got customers who are in that age who are maybe entrepreneurs, maybe we're dealing with risk in certain companies, you know, small business, medium business, whatever it is, and maybe they have their MBA, why would you take them to something that their demographic doesn't enjoy or participate yeah. in? It gets yeah. counterintuitive, right? 100%. Interesting. Yeah. 100%. And not to mention that a lot, I think a lot of that demographic might be challenged to find that type of time too, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they love, you know, the odd time here and there, but I think that that, that demographic squeezed for being able to slice off in four, four, which is probably why they're not joining those things. They got young families but and all that. It doesn't mean that golf club memberships aren't valuable, but it's not a one size fits all approach to to value to all your customers yeah. and maybe you do have customers who like to golf like to golf and it's a good use of time for them but is it a good use of time for oh i got a few customers who all do a few homeowners policies i'll take three of them out golfing with me and you realize well okay i made collectively in a year if everything goes well i make about 700 dollars off of them well the round cost me 100 bucks a head <laughs> Yeah, And it's the most, after auto, it's the one side of the industry that has the biggest pressure points for um, challenges to loyalty. Yeah. So where do you, like, and if they're the ones who also the demographics the most easily influenced to shop, why are you putting your time in there? Like, that's why it's such, you know, we have to really think about tired thinking and stuff and extrapolate out what's who are we really trying to market to and what do they expect to experience mm -hmm. and how do we do it better than the others? That's the mm -hmm. question that I keep coming back to asking. And sometimes you can get into a little bit of paralysis by analysis, but eventually you got you got to fish or cut bait and, and, and you do it and you take a chance and, and you learn some things. And that's kind of what you guys have learned in the process, right? Yeah. So maybe that's a good, you know, I think we've talked a lot about, really we've just kind of flipped the funnel in a way we've, we've start we've started at really maintaining the customers and, and how to do that better and i and i think it makes sense you know covid's really highlighted the need to connect with your customer and, and do that in an efficient way and ways that you know are no longer possible like you said being in lockdown you can't just go walk up and, and visit somebody so i think that that bottom of the funnel and efficient communications and being able to understand and like you said jen you know who is responding to these messages and do do of my base who really enjoys that that experience to your point Pete, you know being able to just yeah. say you know what i don't want to use the digital tools but that's okay you know it doesn't mean that you shouldn't offer them it just means that a portion of, of your book may not be be part of that moving our way up a little bit why don't we just spend a bit of time on growth and I don't maybe not necessarily net new customers why don't we talk about how are you thinking about developing uh, the customer base you know we're starting to see some products that are very hot like cyber you know cyber add-ons and um, interesting ways to sort of cross sell products into into the into the customer base where it makes sense how, how how do you see that as a growth opportunity for for brokers or the, or the industry it, well i mean i will say right now i'm very um 
guilty of the cyber cross sell as I've just entered into a semi-exclusive contract with the company out of the States to start providing a unique cyber um, product for our company. And I believe oh. in that model. We've got to find, we've got to find areas where people are becoming more accustomed to a threat and risk profile that they didn't know existed. Cyber certainly one. Um, I think growth opportunities really comes down to understanding your markets and where you have your best customers. So your best customer is probably someone who's worked with you during the hard market and they've stayed with you, but also someone who's been with you a little bit longer as well. So what are the traits of that customer? And then what is your relationship with them? And then asking them for the referral. So let's, let's go into a little bit of sales strategy here and ask. So when, if you had that customer, you identified five of them and you went to the first one, you said, Hey, you know, you, you call them up or you're chatting, you're doing a check-in with them about their business. And said, you know, I'm really curious, do you know anyone else like you guys that who might need my services? You know, I think we get along. I'd love to have an opportunity to chat with them. And they go, yeah, I, you know, I probably know a few. I said, Hey, do you think you can give my card or, or give me a reference for say 10 of them? And so you ask for a lot. And they say, oh, 10, I don't right. have that and stuff like that. Then they got it. Then they go, okay, well, what about five? And they say, yeah, I could probably do five. So if 10 was too, if you don't ask for a lot at the beginning, you can't mm -hmm. circle. It's easier to say no the first time. Then it gets harder to say no a second time. And it gets harder to say a third time. So even if you whittled it down to two or one, you've got one more than you had before. Yeah. And you've got the person who is already your best customer and an advocate for you doing the work for you. That's a pretty efficient use of time. And yes. it can also be a really efficient use of practicing your sales technique because you're already selling yourself to a customer. You're giving them a reason to sell you to someone else. And if you can do that, you're probably going to have a pretty good success with the referral you get. That's sort of the stuff we're trying to think about right now with our sales team. And are you, are you guys coupling that yet? Or maybe it's still early days, but are you, are you coupling that with any, like, how do you do that at scale? Just recognizing that there's, there could be, you know, re, reach, are you thinking about leveraging some email or testing that out as a we, way to sort of propagate that? We're not leveraging email yet. And part of the reason for that is we live in a funny area in our, in our sphere because most of our customers are made up in rural areas. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, we still have broadband challenges and reliable I internet. Bet. I bet. Yeah. And so one of the things we've had when we try, because we've had to pivot to paperless for our entire organization, um, because of COVID, most of our key partner companies flipped, just turned the paper off. Yeah. Um, we had to start dealing with this in a capacity. So we started e trying to basically flip all our customers to an email correspondence for documents at least. Right. Yes. Um, it proved to be a bit of a challenge because some said, I can't manage this. It clogs my internet. If you send me something that's big <laughs> with policy wording. So like, Oh my God. And so we sort of had to take a step back and say, so, the newsletters were fine, right? but anything over a certain size, we have to, so we pulled back a little bit from that. 
And we've decided that in, in certain areas where we are, because demographically we're spread out, we need to take a different branding approach and identifying approach of our value proposition to go a little bit more where our customers are on their terms as opposed right. to in a digital world, as opposed to us sort of going into their place. We need them to find us when they're out in the digital neighborhood. And so we're looking more at that uh, approach um, because we also know in certain segments, particularly in the agribusiness, there's a lot of great communities with farmers, depending on what you farm, depending on what you do, where it's resources and communities where they hang out online, a lot of Facebook groups and stuff. So we're trying to penetrate and get awareness via that methodology and hopefully drive things in, drive things through that door. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, again, it goes back to learning who your customers are and where they like to hang out. Traditionally, right, we think about physical retail places. So where do your customers see, oh, we got to get this on this corner in this part of town because everyone drives past it and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Well, flipping it to the digital side, as you guys know well, is, well, where do, where do all the, like, say you, say you specialized in um, community associations and you could get a program through community associations for homeowners there. Well, where do they hang out? Where do they interact? They don't, community associations don't really have a physical office. Where they they're, go, they're yeah. Facebook groups, they're, they're, they're online chat forms, depending on, on something. Yeah. Where do they live? How do we find them and how do we reach out to them? And that's yeah. sort of the approach we're taking because of the spread of things. Then once we hook them in, we want to have that email interaction and, and such with them via newsletters, website updates, and using the website as more a depository. And eventually we will launch our own customer portal, which is still in the, in the works on, um, on how, they, uh, how we brand it. And so the customer portal side is letting people know via email, your policy documents are ready or this change is there. And then they can go and consume it on their own time. And yeah. it, it's sort of one of those, I think we saw this with, with COVID with the school system that, you know, the online learning is not necessarily like when, if you're in a major center, okay, that makes sense. You know, you can get internet and broadband access and these types of things. But and we, we know that lots of parts of the country do not have high speed internet. And now you're talking about video calls, you know, all this online do downloading documents, printing things. They don't. So I, I think it's, sort of really interesting. I mean, I, you know, probably ways to segment off your audience where, you know, you know, these guys are in much more urban centers. We can probably give them other options at times, but um, yeah, that's wild. You know, thinking that you'd send somebody a document and they'd be on a dial up or something and it would be yeah. crashing their computer. You know, old ISDN lines and they just, you know, didn't have the patience yeah. for it. But if the document yeah. happens to be a very poorly designed PDF, that's, um, that's say 13 megabytes. Yeah. They're loading it into their, on their thing. And all of a sudden they see their email stall because it's downloading a document and it pops out from your insurance broker. They just tend to get a little grumpy. Yeah, it kind of does the opposite of what, what you were hoping to achieve with yeah. giving somebody a, a good experience, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's a great example of, you know, the, the multi-channel 
um, that um, you know digital is an important part of the channel, but there are multiple communication um, opportunities and that it has to really fit the audience and there's not one single audience. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not like this straight linear, the same way, even if you send an email out, having one single message is not going to resonate with all of your customers. Um, one single, um, you know, ad is not going to resonate with every possible prospect. So you need to look at, uh, you need to be realistic about the fact that there's, there's different groups of people with different needs. Um, and you need to find ways to address all of them. And then to Michael's point, you know, how do you, then how do you do that at scale? So, uh, and, and, and learning about scale is really important. So we, every year for the ag, ag sector, for farms and stuff, we have a big, we call it hail season. We sell hail insurance. Yeah. It usually runs yeah. into July and it's, it's common across Canada. It's big on the prairies. And so in the past, we've put up billboards, we've done different kind of magazine ads and things like that. And I said this year, I said, we're not going to do any traditional media. We're not going to spend a nickel on anything we've done in the past. We're not going to buy a billboard on the highway. We're not going to mm -hmm. put it in trade magazines. We're only doing online ads. And we're going to see how much difference how they do. Is. Yeah. We spent a fraction of the price and the sales were the exact same. And the interesting point about it was not only were our sales the same, but two companies who we deal with also went direct to customer. So we managed to actually avoid the direct to customer threat in terms of not, we didn't grow, but we didn't lose as much as we did. Mm. And all we did was spent on online ads and we targeted where those customers were via different channels. Excellent. And so, and we only did it for one class of business for about an eight week period and mm -hmm. let's learn from it. What did we learn yeah. from that? And yeah. I think that's the biggest misconception about um, digital initiatives with brokers is they get this idea that they've got to spend half a million dollars in three years and uproot their entire operations and change everything it's 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 an evolution and it's a slow evolution and you dip your toes in you see what works what didn't work what do we learn from this so and how do you expand it out how do you scale it yeah, yeah. and that's what's getting missed in a lot of the conversation there's ways to do this that you can learn and get your comfort level up and then realize okay well i actually need a person who does this full time if i'm going to do more yeah. and plan for it budget for it, it you know, when you just think I've got to be digital and you don't give yourself any kind of paradigms or checkpoints, you're going to make a mess of things. Yeah. And yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Pete. Oh, I was just going to say, and then you're spending good money after bad. And, and, yeah. no and, that, and that's, that's the problem. And it's going, you know, it's like what Rob, when you were, when you were just saying that, and then it was, it, but you know, you piggybacked off that Pete and just kind of made, the anxiety go away. But when you were talking, Robin, it was like, that's the anxiety out there. It's like, 
it's like, holy cow, they realize, you know, or they have somebody like me preaching <laughs> down their throat that it isn't a one and done. We're not going to achieve this on the first email. They realize it's four, five, six, and it's 17 different segments. And it's like, how do you, that's then the anxiety builds. But then if you look at it as this evolution and it's like, no, we're just going to carve off this one thing. We're going to see how it works. If it performs good, great. If not, we're not doing that again. And we're going to move to the next strategy. Um, I'm not sure if it's less overwhelming, but it's a common conversation. Well, it, it gets, it, I think it gets, you know, people engaged. And I think that's probably what you're seeing, Pete, is that like you, you start to have a better conversation at the management team level to say, you know, let's actually do things differently, but we'll look at what happened as a team as well. And if we look at what happened as a team, now we're building that that cycle that can grow or as you say evolve over time um, to say well maybe it wasn't great but here's here's what we can glean from it it turns out that maybe that one area wasn't the best or maybe the ad wasn't the best or whatever those things were i think what's healthy about it is that the group comes together and says yeah we're all we are looking at it as a group and we can now see how how to make those evolutions and the nice thing about digital is you know even in eight week that's that's a that's a decently long test. I mean, you can get, depending on seasonality, obviously, you can get results in a, in a couple of weeks. I mean, in some cases, you can get results in sort of like a week. Um, the algorithms don't always take weeks and weeks and weeks to train. But I mean, you think of some of the traditional media tests, and I'm sure you've done. I mean, once you sink it in a billboard, that's it. I mean, there's no determining how many impressions you got or clicks or, you know, visits off of that, right? Exactly. There's none. And are people even engaged when they see the billboard? Like the one thing about the screen that everyone forgets, and, and you know, we all go to websites, we see things, and you see banner ads come up, you see things placed. It doesn't mean you have to click on them. That's the added bonus. But you're engaged in looking at the screen, which is different than when you're driving yeah. or when you're walking or biking or when you're out in the traditional thing. Um, you're at least focused on looking at what's in front of you. Like I'm looking at you right now, Michael, I'm engaged in what I'm looking at. If there, if you had an ad in the back corner, I'd still see it. I may not be interacting with it, but there was an engagement because I noticed it. Right. Yeah. That's the difference with it, right? You're engaged in the area where your eyes are focused. And, and, you know, it goes back to the old adage, we're all fighting for eyeballs, but there's, there's, there's smart fights. And then there's, not so smart bites. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place for us to, to cut it, Pete. We, we typically um, uh, would go for, you know, 20, 25 minutes-ish, and this has been even a lot more than that, so we really appreciate your time. Um, this has been uh, really good for, for us to, to hear from you. If there's anything else you'd like to add, feel free to, to chime it in, maybe where people can grab more information on you and, and your podcast. Yeah, just the, the insurancepodcast.com is the website. And uh, I, I post up there, you know, find me on LinkedIn, Pete Tessier. I've got a LinkedIn page, the insurance podcast. And, you know, just I'm around in the industry. I like to like to be known. I will be actually, you guys have been there. Um, I will be a part of the IBAO virtual conference coming yeah. up in a few weeks. I think you guys are involved as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Doing some podcasts with them and sort of capturing a bit of what they're doing. And, uh, Looking forward to kind of 
I'm looking forward to conference season again. I'm missing all my conference. Yeah, me too. Right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, we're all feeling the conference bum out. Uh, this was supposed to be their hundredth anniversary, or it is their hundredth anniversary. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be a quite the quite the conference this year. So that is a a lot of them. That's a, that's a bummer for the insurance industry, but. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying. We're trying the virtual. So please come into our booth and and knock on the door and see what that's like. That'll be fun. For sure, we will. All right. Well, thanks okay. so much. Thank you, Thank Pete. You. Tons Take of fun. Take care. You too. Okay. Bye bye. bye, -bye.